0: for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing.
1: Do you realize how much money he just saved us?
0: This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio.
2: It's also my pleasure to see to it the decent hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial
0: advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money.
2: Your source for Straightforward, no nonsense financial advice.
0: Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician,
2: America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna.
0: Hey, thanks for taking time out of your day to join us for yet another edition of the Financial Physician Podcast. Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner, and your money doctor not once but twice a week. You're listening to the Sunday two-hour broadcast, and on Wednesday before uh, p.m., we have our roughly one-hour podcast uh, on Wednesday. Totally different uh, subject matter, each and every podcast, so don't miss either the Sunday or the Wednesday podcast. Got a great show for you today, uh, lots to talk about. It seems that the Democrats are finally getting religion uh, when issues come into their own backyard, like Rampant immigration or defund the police movement. Uh, we're going to talk about that later. We'll talk about hypocrisy of the left, uh, and you're going to want to stay to the end. We have a very special interview that you're not going to want to miss. And I have joining me later in the program the forty fifth president of the United States. Yes, no other, none other than Donald J. Trump. How's that for a tease? Um, now, no jumping ahead on the podcast. You have to listen to the whole show, but you're going to want to stay to the end. Um, I think you'll find it extremely interesting. Um, and uh, I found it quite, uh, quite humbling that he would come on our show. And we talked about a, a wide range of issues from uh, uh, the weaponization of government against him uh, to uh, how his views have changed on uh, vaccines and the virus. I think you'll find it very Interesting. All right, let's start off today's show like we've been uh, starting off the last three podcasts, and that's uh, uh, reviewing the chapters in my book, The Financial Physician. Uh, We're on Chapter 5, and this is a real important one. This is entitled Failure Failure to Understand Your Financial Psychology. And I say this is a big one because nothing makes people crazier than money. No, it's not love, it's not politics, it's not religion. The smartest, most level-headed people can suddenly become totally irrational when it comes to money. And our financial psychology dictates how we deal with money. And it's important to understand what our psychology is and what makes us tick financially. And people tend to make huge financial mistakes uh, due to psychology and the feelings they have about money. And it's the hardest thing in my practice, what I have to do. I mean, managing money for people is easy. Managing the head, uh, that's a totally different thing. Now, let's talk about first uh, what I call financial states of mind. And there's two of them. And it's either you have an attitude of abundance or you have an attitude of lack. Now, I want you to follow me on this and think about what you are. Because you're going to fall into one of these two. And then later on, we'll talk about subsets of uh, different psychological states financially. And you'll fit in one of them because everybody fits into five of them. You know, after meeting with people for 40 years, thousands of interviews with people, uh, I've narrowed this down uh, to five. But first, we're going to start out with the financial state of mind that you're in. So let's talk about attitude of abundance. Now, keep in mind, an attitude of abundance or an attitude of lack has nothing to do with how much money you have. Now, you think it would, right? It has nothing to do with it whatsoever. I know people with millions of dollars, and I'm going to tell you a story in a little while, uh, that have an attitude of lack. And I know people have hardly anything that have an attitude of abundance. So what, what's the difference between the two? Well, If you have an attitude of abundance, you believe that you will always get whatever you need in life to live the good life, uh, to support your family. You're not fearful that you're going to be destitute, you're going to be broke. And like I said, I have clients that have little money and don't seem concerned. They never complain about their finances. They live comfortable lives. They take vacations and they're generous. They seem to feel that everything's going to be just fine. And somehow they'll get whatever they need. Now, it's not necessarily good to have an attitude of abundance if you're doing it foolishly. Like if you just keep spending all your money because you don't care. That's bad. And there's different extremes here. So you may fall somewhere in the middle. What about an attitude of lack? Well, just the opposite. You believe that you're never going to have enough to support you and your family. And I have millionaires, multimillionaire clients who have an attitude of lack. They're always concerned that they won't have enough money. Now, many of them are tightwads. They're compulsive savers because they don't want to spend any money. You have to save it because they're never going to have enough. And, um, and they're always worried that they're going to lose what they have. So they're very, very conservative on where they put their money. They're mostly they're savers. They're not investors. They put their money in bank accounts or treasury bills. They don't want to take any risk because they don't want to lose any. Whereas if you had an attitude of abundance, they're more likely to take risk in the stock market, invest their money. They don't get too concerned with the ups and downs of the market. Uh, over time, it always comes back. Um, and it, they're right about that. You know, We're close to record highs after everything we've been through. In my career, I've lived through, what, five crashes? And here we are, close to all-time highs again. So the way we relate to money has more to do with our attitude about life in general than how much money we have. Our feelings of abundance or our feelings of lack do not correlate with how much we actually have. Again, they're financial states of mind. Now, a lot of th- this attitude of lack, attitude of abundance uh, happens in our childhood. Now, if you were a depression era person, you grew up in the depression, and it is not too many of us left, uh, not us, I, I didn't live through the depression, but there's not too many people left uh, that lived through the depression. But if your family had trouble putting food on a table, uh, you could develop an attitude of lack. Whereas on the opposite end, if you lived in an abundant family, you know, who uh, uh, not necessarily rich, but had everything they needed, uh, then you may have an attitude of abundance, but not necessarily. I know people who lived in a family of abundance and had an attitude of lack (laughs) and people who've come up through a family that lacked resources uh, that have an attitude of abundance. Now, I got to tell you about myself. I grew up in a family that uh, struggled. I was the oldest of six kids. Uh, My father was a union printer in New York City. Uh, My mother was a waitress. And we never had two dimes to rub together. Now, in uh, the mid-70s, if anybody's old enough to remember that, we had a recession. My dad was out of work for three years. And we were on welfare, uh, food stamps. I got free lunches at school, which uh, totally uh, disturbed me psychologically. You know, there's many days I would not eat lunch because I was embarrassed that I I had to have a handout. And it, it influenced me to go to college to be successful, because I didn't want my children ever to experience that. Again, psycholo- psychology, right? I was mentally disturbed by the, by the lack in my life, uh, and it took me a long time to overcome that. Uh, even when I was successful in business and I had significant resources, uh, I would my wife and I would argue about spending money to go on a cruise or a vacation because I thought it was too expensive. But meanwhile, we had more than enough money to be able to afford it. And it took me a long time. Now, I don't have that attitude of lack anymore. Uh, I I do now have transitioned to an attitude of abundance, which means that anybody can do it. Uh, It just takes like any other psychological issue. It takes therapy. And I say that's what I do uh, in my conference room. I do more financial therapy than I do financial planning. Because, you know, p- to change people's attitude about money, it's not easy. And many times it takes repetitive appointments. So here's an uh, example of an attitude of lack. I have a client that has uh, over $2 million invested with me, closer to two and a half. She's 86 or 87 years old, a widow. She has to come to my office at least three times a year for me to walk her off the ledge because she's so fearful of being destitute. That's hard for many of us to to imagine that somebody with $2.5 million would feel that way. I just had uh, a, a woman in my office this past week who had over $2 million in assets, no heirs, none, no children, no brothers and sisters, nobody to leave her money to except animal shelters and PETA and things like that. Two and a half million dollars, 70 years old. uh, And I told her, you have to spend this money. But, you know, and and I asked her how she um, accumulated it. She accumulated it by saving it. And she didn't have an extremely high paying job. So she must have sacrificed her whole life to build up that kind of money. And now when I tell her it's time to to spend it, you know, she looks at me like I'm crazy. You know, there's an attitude of lack there. You know, it's just a matter of there's a block. And it's very, very difficult. It's One of the hardest things I do in in my practice is to try to get my retired clients to spend the money that they worked so hard over their working years to get them to spend it. And I say to them, well, what did you save this money for? And usually they answer retirement then why wouldn't you spend it in retirement? Many times people will come to me and they'll say, you know, Louie, here's my half a million dollars. Just send me every month what it can earn. And I always want to have that half a million dollars. And I say, why? And it's a psychological thing. You know, their whole lives, they built up more money, more money, more wealth. Their 401ks got bigger. And they don't want to see it go the other way. Where you start spending it, and the, the, your net worth starts to go down. Some people just can't handle that psycho- psychologically. Uh, but that's what it was for, right? In the book, I use an analogy. I say um, a squirrel during the, uh, the summer and the fall gathers acorns and puts them in their nest, and they save it, they save them for the winter. Their nest egg, so to speak, to use a Analogy to finances, right? And that's exactly what we do our whole lives, is we put money away for the future, theoretically retirement. But the difference between us and the squirrel is the squirrel will eat their eggs, they'll eat their acorns, I should say, um, over the winter, and we're so reluctant to spend our retirement money or our nest egg when we're retired. And there's one true, uh, truism in life. You can't take your money with you when you die. You come in broke, you go out broke. You come in naked, you go out naked. Well, maybe not naked because you're dressed up <laughs> at the funeral parlor So maybe you don't go out naked. You go up out, you go out in a fine suit, right? Um, but, uh, uh, you gotta spend it, uh, the key here is just not to be stupid about how you spend it. You don't want to run out of money before you run out of breath. But I love them when a client comes to me and says, Lou, I'm 65 right now. Here's my $500,000. I want it to last for 25 years. Uh, how much could I take out every month where it'll go to zero the day I die? If the day I die, we have a nickel left, we did it right. Uh, and I love that. Because I'm not a big believer in inheritance. Um, it's nice to inherit money. I never will. I never did. Uh, maybe that's the reason why I don't have a big, uh, uh, I'm big on inheritances. Um, and I always say that to a client on a first appointment: uh, How important is inheritance to you? Now, if it's important, then we know we have to, you know, do the financial planning a little differently where they maybe are living off just the interest and dividends that their money can generate. Maybe they have a special needs child that they have to support even after they're dead. Well, I understand that. Um, And I would like to leave an inheritance for my two kids. And I'm sure I will. But I'm not going to sacrifice my golden years and not travel or spend money and things that I love just so my kids can get a big inheritance But psychologically, people have a problem spending their money. They fear, they look at money as security. and It's not that at all. First of all, money really isn't anything until you convert it into something other than a digit on a piece of paper, right? Money is potentiality. It could be turned potentially into a great meal. It could be potentially turned into a, a great trip to Europe. It potentially could be changed into charity to help somebody else. And I always say, it's never a waste of money to put a good meal on your belly, to travel and see the world, and to be charitable and help others. Never a waste of money, as long as it's done prudently. And uh, one, way, one good way to change your attitude to lack, start giving money away to people. You know, recently, you know, with the Maui fires, these poor people out there, I made a donation to a GoFundMe page, right? It wasn't a huge amount of money, but it made me feel good. It it, it changed my attitude for the day, for actually a couple of days, to think that I was able to do something small to help a family. And that's one way to, to break that attitude of lack. Spend your money. And better yet, be generous with it. Now let's talk about psychological profiles. First we talked about financial states of mind, you know, lack or abundance. Now let's talk about psychological profiles. Because everybody fits into one of these five. And I want you to be honest with yourself and tell me where you fit in on this. The high roller. The high roller thinks everything in life is a gamble. They want big returns in a short period of time. Uh, They like to use high-risk investment strategies. They're always looking to hit the jackpot. They buy lottery tickets all the time. They usually incur big losses in their portfolios because they lack good diversification and good asset allocation. They get bored with conservative long-term investments, and they tend to want to speculate on individual stocks, commodities, real estate, Bitcoin, That's the high roller. I see that type all the time in my business, all the time. Uh, Then we have, and this is a real dangerous one, is the abdicator. The abdicator typically would be a widow woman. Well, a widow is a woman, right? Uh, You know, 70s, 80s, a woman whose husband handled all the finances, all the investments, paid all the bills, and now she's alone. And now she has to manage the finances. And now she's very vulnerable. And we're going to talk about this in a later chapter of the book, the importance of spousal teamwork and having both spouses involved in money management just for this reason alone. That she's probably going to be alone at some point and have to do it. And uh, the abdicator um, uh, lets other people make decisions for them. Uh, They do whatever a a quote-unquote financial advisor suggests. Uh, They trust people. And then they're surprised when they lose money. And they're frequently taken advantage of by unscrupulous financial salesmen, and there's so many of them out there. I see this time and time again. You know, a new client came in this week. She was telling me her mother died, and she inherited close to a million dollars. And most of the investment portfolio was in annuities. Why? Because this guy was an insurance salesman and he looked at her and she did whatever he told her to do uh, and uh, kept turning her money over over the years and made probably over 100000 in commissions on her. Be very careful if you fall into this abdicator role. Uh, just don't do what somebody tells you without being very, very sure or getting a second opinion that that's the right thing to do. Now, on Wednesday, we talked about addiction to debt and spending. Well, the next uh, profile is the credit junkie, right? And there's many of you out there, you know who you are, are addicted to acquiring things rather than building their wealth. They're usually in denial regarding uh, their addictive spending. They tend to carry uh, huge credit card balances, They usually drive nice cars that they purchase with large, long-term loans, and since much of their income goes to debt payments, uh, they have little savings or net worth. And then they wonder why it's so hard to get ahead when they're sabotaging themselves every day with needless spending, especially using credit cards. Next, we have the squirrel, and I see a lot of squirrels. Um, they're savers, they're not investors. They're as conservative as they come. They don't overspend. They live frugally. Uh, squirrels tend to have an attitude of lack uh, because they fear they're not going to have enough money. And usually, most of their money is in banks or treasury bills. Uh, and they're 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 content to get low returns because they find the stock market way too risky for them. They couldn't imagine losing 5%. And since they get such low returns over the course of their lives, squirrels tend uh, to have trouble keeping pace with inflation. And uh, I have a story of a client, well, they were potential clients. They never became clients. But when they came to see me, uh, I couldn't believe their story. So the husband was named Les, the the wife was Alice. And this was 20 years ago, but I'll never forget them. Both were 67 years old, had no children or close relatives. Les was a mechanic. He earned about $45,000 a year. And Alice worked in a factory earning $28,000 a year. Now, this is back in around 2000. All right, so it was 20 years ago. Their only car was an eight-year-old Honda. So Alice would walk about a mile each day to work and back. And three years prior to me meeting them, Les had triple bypass surgery. Not the healthiest guy. So when I looked at their um, assets, they accumulated over $3.5 million in savings by living extremely frugally, spartanly, uh, socking away almost every dime. And uh, Alice told me that Les insists that the thermostat is always on 67 or lower. Can't heat the house more than that. And in the summertime, it's close to 78. Got to save some money on that utility bill. Can you imagine I had three and a half million in the bank and you're willing to be cold or hot in your own home? Is that sick or what? Yeah, it's psychological. Psychological. And, and, and I, I tried to get through to them. Like I, client, the client that was in my office this week um, that I said had over $2 million, no heirs, uh, and is having trouble spending their money. Uh, she says, you know, you're, you're like a, psychi- a psychiatrist. And I said, yeah, that's what I have to be here because people are nuts when it comes to money. And I have to get through to them. So I said to them this. I said, imagine that you lived on a beautiful lake. And each morning, you go down to the lake, you fill your glasses with water from the lake, and the water was pristine, so you could drink it. And they would drink the water that they needed to live, and it was delicious cold water. So after they drink the water, they would go to the garage, get an eight-foot pole, hang a bucket on each end of the pole, and place the pole across Les' shoulders. Well, for the next four hours, they would climb the mountain, go to a well, and fill the buckets to the brim. Then they would hike down the mountain another three hours with the heavy buckets on Les's shoulders. And when they got to the bottom by the lake, they would pour the buckets into the lake. Even though the lake contained more than enough water that they could ever drink in their life. Now, when I finish with that little story or analogy, um, Alice became pretty wide-eyed. You know, I kind of stroked, you know, I got through to her. Uh, She goes, I never understood my attitude about money until right now. And she said that she would consider retiring and starting to take it easy. Well, two years later, they came to me, they had a tax issue, and Les and Alice were still working and saving every dime. That's a squirrel. And there's many squirrels out there. And uh, not as much as there used to be in my career. Uh, Older generations, you know, they were taught to put your money in the savings account in the bank. Uh, They didn't know much about investing. Uh, But nowadays, you know, people have 401ks and so forth. So uh, they're less squirrels. They're mostly older people that I see as squirrels. Now, the last category is the fifth one, and this is the best one, and that's the money master. Like a fitness freak who spends all his time in the gym, it's, uh, the money master is obsessed with money management. He or she is well-educated in all money-related matters, tend to avoid others' advice, and takes full control of his or her investments. They employ risk controls, uh, but they're not fearful of investing their money in a good, diversified portfolio. And they reach their financial goals, but also enjoy their money success by living an abundant and balanced life. See, that's the key here. To be a money master, it's not just accumulating assets. It's enjoying the assets that you accumulate. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. If you die with seven figures on a piece of paper on a statement from a bank or a brokerage firm, What good did that do you? Again, it was just potentiality. And you also have to understand the difference between being rich and being wealthy. Being wealthy means having a lot of money, having a lot of assets, owning a lot of things. I don't want to say things, I want to say assets bank accounts, brokerage accounts, stocks and bonds and real estate. That's being wealthy. Being rich is how you live. You could be wealthy and not rich. And you could be rich without being wealthy, too, but that's not a good thing. Uh, living uh, like you're rich when you're not uh, is pretty dangerous. But you have to understand what money is money is nothing until it's converted into food, travel, charity, or whatever. And uh, what is wealth to you? You have to ask yourself that. Answer the following questions. What is wealth to you? Is it the quality of the food you eat? Is it being comfortable in your home? Uh, Is it um, enjoying time with your family and friends? Is it the ability to continue to learn and grow? Is it uh, your ability to travel first class? And enjoy what the world has to offer. Is wealth uh, the fact that you have the ability to give to charity? Uh, You have to decide what wealth is to you. And again, uh, the money master knows how to use their wealth to live a rich lifestyle. Because, hey, you can't take it with you when you die but you do need enough to live while you're alive. So you have to balance it out. And that's what a good accountant, good certified financial planner will make sure that you don't outlast your money. But at the same time, make sure that you enjoy your money. And it's, it's all about being balanced and living a balanced lifestyle. So knowing your financial psychology is so important. uh, if it's not what you think it should be, if you have an attitude of lack and you want to you overcome that, you can. You just got to do certain things and you got to be diligent about it. And you're not going to change overnight. Any psychological issue doesn't change overnight. Therapy takes time. And uh, be patient with yourself. But just be aware of what you're thinking, how you're thinking, what your emotions are. When it comes to money. All right, let's take a short break. You're listening to the Financial Physician. My name's Lou Scatigna. Don't go away.
3: AFM Investments' Luz Katigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFM securities
0: transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company. Member FINRA, SIPC, registered advisory services through our Check this
3: advisors.
2: Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top-quality work at the most affordable, Affordable rates.
0: Welcome back to the Financial Physician Podcast, where we talk money, markets, politics, and anything I feel like discussing with you. My name is Lou Scotigna, certified financial planner, and you're a money doctor not once, but now twice a week. We run two podcasts the main podcast that you listen to now which is our Sunday podcast, which I have up uh, by 9 a.m. Sunday morning. And then we have our midweek podcast, uh, which I have up by 4 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully you're tuning in to both podcasts because I don't repeat what I talk about on either podcast on uh, the next one. Uh, I don't want to bore you and I don't want to be repetitive. So you are going to want to tune in to both podcasts. Uh, the Sunday podcast runs about two hours. And the Wednesday podcast runs about right about an hour. So hopefully you're joining us for both of them. Thank you so much for sharing the link to the podcast with friends and family. That's the only way we grow. Uh, It seems each and every week there's more listeners to this program. And that that only happens because you guys are telling other people about it. Put it on your social media, the link. Uh, Put it on uh, forums that you uh, participate in uh, that you think may benefit by the Financial Physician podcast podcast. My email address, you want to send me a, an email or a suggestion, or you just want to say hi, Lou at the financial physician.com, Lou at the Financial Now, in the beginning of the show, I was summarizing uh chapter five of my book, The Financial Physician: How to Cure Your Money Problems and Boost Your Financial Health. Uh, the book is available free of charge to anybody who wants it. Uh, easiest way to get it is when you go to the financial physician.com, uh, the show's uh, website, uh, it asks you if you would like a copy of the book. You just give us your email and we'll send you a link to the PDF uh, and you can get a free copy of it. It's a beautiful PDF file. It really looks nice. It looks as good as the book itself does. But some of you prefer to have a hard copy book in your hand. Um, it's actually a soft uh, cover book. Uh, I'll be happy to mail you one. Uh, i got plenty of them. It won't cost you a dime. I'll even eat the postage to send it to you. Uh, I want to get the books out of my warehouse and into the hands of people who could benefit by it. If you have a a young couple, uh, maybe just got married, uh, or you have a son or daughter just graduating college or just going into college, uh, get them a copy of this book. It's very easy to read. It's very basic, uh, and it will teach... Uh, our young people, uh, the smart, responsible way to live their financial life. That's thefinancialphysician.com. If you want the hard copy, just send me um, an email at lou at com. Just give me your name and address and say, Lou, please send me a copy of your book, and I'll get it out that day. I want to talk about identity loss in retirement. Now, I'm not talking about identity theft. That's something totally different. I'm talking about Identity loss. After leaving the presidency, former president Ulysses S. Grant uh, found himself wrestling with challenges of adjusting to his civilian life. And he told a close friend, quote, I am now simply Ulysses S. Grant and I'm trying to get used to it. And when we transition from our working days To retirement, it could be very, very uh, psychologically stressful. There we are, we're talking about psychology again. And not necessarily from a loss of income or anything like that, just uh, when you're used to being a, you know, we always quote who we are, what we are. I am a certified financial planner, I am a doctor, I am an accountant, I am a bus driver, I am a plumber, I am a carpenter. This is our, I'm a teacher. That's our identity. That's who we describe who we are by what we do for a living. And what do we say we are once we're retired? Well, we have to grapple with what we have uh, to ourselves to be. We're no longer the doctor. We're no longer the plumber. We were in a previous life. But whenever we make these transitions, and we're always making transitions in life, Right, We go from being a child to an adult. We go from being uh, an intern to uh, running the company. We go from single to being married and then sadly widowed. And then we have the transition from being an active worker in a profession, whatever it is, and now being retired. And, and once we have these transitions, you know, people often experience a sense of detachment from their sense of self, who they identified they were. And it's known as identity loss. And, you know, that's what Grant was dealing with, you know, on a greater basis because he was president of the United States and now he's just an ordinary Joe. But many people who retire become very, very depressed. And more and more people now work longer, not because they need the money necessarily, but because they enjoy working. They enjoy the identity of who they are. It gives them a sense of self-worth. And there's been a study recently that stated that those who um, work longer uh, tend to live longer and tend to have more mental uh, acuity. And that kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, makes sense to me. But if you have identity loss because you retired, there's some things you could do to mitigate it or even to change it. And one part is working in retirement. Now, it could be part-time. You could be a consultant where you work from home. You work your own hours. So you're, you're you are retired, but you still got one foot in the game. Many people do that. They just can't see themselves sitting on a couch watching Wheel of Fortune all day. I can't see myself doing that. So they they engage in some meaningful work, um, and it gives them some connection, or it eases them into retirement. Um, well, what about non work related activities? What about um, finding a new purpose for yourself? Do some interesting things. Uh, how about volunteering? Mentoring, uh, living a family-focused life. You know, Maybe you, know, you were so busy at work all the time that you didn't spend much time with your grandkids or even your own children. Um, maybe by get- becoming more involved with them, that'll give you a sense or a new identity as dad, as pop-pop. How about adopting a pet? Maybe you never had time for a pet because you were never home. That's one way to get a new identity, to be a pet daddy or mommy. How about uh, taking up a new hobby? Like golf. You know, maybe you never had time to play golf and you start playing golf and all of a sudden you catch the bug, right? Now you are a golfer. And hopefully a good one at that. I'm a golfer, but a <laughs> pretty poor one. <laughs> I'm hoping to improve that. You know, I haven't played golf in like five years. i played once or twice. Uh, and now my son-in-law um, has picked it up in his mid-30s. Uh, and uh, he's asked me to play with him, and I've been playing with him. And I went out a couple of weeks ago and spent a fortune on new clubs. And I'm taking lessons, uh, and uh, I'm going to try uh, to play more golf. And now I have a, a partner to play with. And, it's, you know, it's great. Um, you know, it's a great time we have together. It's good bonding. Uh, and we have a great time. Um, but you could do you, anything that, that that makes Maybe it's uh, playing tennis. I don't know. Find something that, that, that you enjoy doing. You can't sit home and do nothing. You know, people. a lot of people die just a few years after they retire because they don't stay active mentally or physically. But um, it's up to you. People look at retirement as a great thing. Um, but uh, for other people, they dread it because they don't know who they will be. And Richard Branson, you know Richard Branson is? He's uh, the guy that owns, what, Virgin Atlantic and all that. Uh, he stated, he said, uh, his life is a never-ending adventure. Uh, quote, life is not a journey to retirement. <laughs> it's just an adventure that keeps going. And he hasn't retired. He's still doing things every day. Now, you may have such feelings of loss of identity that you may need to seek help from a professional. You know, a good therapist could guide guide you through your understanding uh, of your emotions uh, and maybe assist in developing uh, some coping strategies for you. So uh, be aware that this happens. Uh, I think a lot of retirees are surprised uh, after a couple of months of being home how depressed they get. How their self-esteem is gone Um, And that's a recipe For misery, depression uh, Health issues, mental health Issues, longevity issues So make sure When you're doing your retirement planning Don't just plan financially Plan emotionally Uh, Programming note, I meant to Mention this when we got back from the break Uh, Next week, next Wednesday I will not have a midweek podcast. Uh, I'm going to be on vacation next week. Uh, Believe it or not, my wife and I are taking a cruise um, right into the heart of uh, Hurricane Lee, um, which is giving me some trepidation. Um, Now, we're not going to get hit by the the hurricane, but uh, there's going to be some pretty high seas. Hopefully, we don't get seasick, uh, but they're talking like, you know, 30-foot waves, out there uh, so <laughs> I don't know if I'm looking forward to this or not we're going out of Bayonne uh, we got to go all the way down the eastern seaboard uh, it should be it should be interesting uh, but I won't be uh, recording a midweek podcast. I will have a show I get back next Sunday uh, uh, but I will have the show done. I plan on recording it in my cabin uh, on the cruise. Let's see if I can record a show in the middle of 30-foot waves. Um, It should be interesting. But I'll have a full program for you uh, next Sunday, but we won't be having uh, our midweek podcast. Uh, We'll get back to our midweek podcast the following uh, Wednesday. So New York Mayor de Blasio um, named New York City a sanctuary city during his administration, as did many— Uh, mayors in blue, Democratic-run hellholes in Los Angeles, in uh, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, uh, and uh, New York City. And now it's coming back to bite them. Now that they're getting all these illegal immigrants coming into their cities, now they have a different view On their sanctuary status. Uh, Let's take Eric Adams, the mayor of New York. In uh, a tweet he put up uh, October 20th, 21, just about two years ago, he writes, We should protect our immigrants, period. Yes, New York City will remain a sanctuary city under an Adams administration. Uh, Well, he changed his tune a little bit. Listen to a a speech he gave uh, to, I think it was a city council. Uh, meeting uh, looks like uh, Mr. Adams. Uh, you know, was not really too happy with all the immigrants coming into New York.
3: We turned this city around in twenty months, and then what happened? Started with a madman down in Texas decided he wanted to bust people up to New York City. Hundred and ten thousand migrants invaders. We have to feed clothes. House, educate the t- children, wash their laundry sheets, give them everything they need, health care. And this team here, we stated, let's do everything possible before we have to push it out into neighborhoods and communities. Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. But we're here. We're here. We're getting no support on this national crises, and we're receiving no support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City.
0: Well, that's a little different Eric Adams than we heard in the past, isn't it? Uh, First of all, Eric Adams, uh, you didn't turn the city around (laughs) during your administration. Everything's just gotten worse. Uh, And then he goes and he blames uh, a madman from Texas, uh, Governor Abbott, uh, for shipping. Hey, you're a sanctuary city. Texas isn't. You welcome immigrants. But how about putting the blame where where it needs to be put, which is uh, on Joe Biden and his administration who just opened the floodgates? Literally. Do you realize that? They've opened these floodgates, literally, they're, they're gates for floods, and welded them open so the illegals can get through. So, yeah, the, the Biden administration isn't helping you with money and things like that, housing. But how about asking them to close the border? Uh, I mean, I, I think that would be uh, the smarter thing to do. But, you know, he's right. He said this is going to destroy New York City. Although, you know, New York City's already Mad Max. Remember the movie Escape from New York City? <laughs> That's becoming real. Nobody goes to New York City anymore. If you if you watch Fox News, which I try to avoid these days, uh, but uh, you'll see they have a picture of 6th Avenue. And you look at the traffic, and you look at the foot traffic, and it's a fraction of what it used to be. And I talk to clients all the time, and, you know, we talk about life, we talk about the world, we talk about the cities and the crime. And they all tell me the same thing that, oh, I want to go into the city. I want to go to Philadelphia. I want to go to New York. And uh, that's true of me and my wife. My wife won't set foot in the city. So this is, this is the death knell for cities in general. Then you add to it the influx of these illegals, uh, many of them with criminal backgrounds. Uh, you have a revolving door. Uh, you know, for the jail, you know, you arrest somebody for beating up an old lady. Remember the lady uh, with, the, with the cane? She was beat 50 times. He hit her out, out the same day. It's just unbelievable. Uh, but let's listen to more of Eric Adams as he gets uh, uh, religion regarding illegal immigration.
3: Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just getting Venezuela. Now we're in Ecuador. Now we're getting Russian speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. We got a 12 12- billion billion-dollar deficit that we're going to have to cut. Every service in this city is going to be impacted. All of us. And so I say to you, as I turn it over to you, this is some, some of the most educated, some of the most knowledgeable, probably more of my commissioners and deputy commissioners and chiefs live in this community. So as you ask me a question about migrants, Tell me what role you played. How many of you organized to stop what they're doing to us? How many of you were part of the movement to say, we're seeing what this mayor is trying to do, and they're destroying New York City? It's going to come to your neighborhoods. All of us are going to be impacted by this. I said it last year when we had 15,000. I'm telling you now with 110,000. The city we knew, we're about to lose.
0: The migrant crisis is not only going to destroy New York City, it's going to destroy every sanctuary city in America. And uh, there's no end in sight. Uh, The Biden administration apparently purposefully want all these migrants to come into the country. Uh, And uh, it's just going to get worse. At least until the next election. So we got a year and a half uh, before anything's going to be done about it. And how many millions more people are going to come through during that time? And these people come in, they get uh, schooling, they get health care, they get money. Was it now I hear every family's coming in and getting $2,200 from the government immediately? It's insane. We got American families who can't even put food on a table right now. We got these poor people in Maui that that's gone right off the the board. Nobody's talking about that anymore, right? And uh, sure, illegals come in, break our law, come into our country and get everything for free. And it's causing um, chaos in the New York City school system. And I imagine L.A. and every other one in Chicago where all these migrants show up. They don't speak English. So now, by federal law, they have to have translators for all these kids. Um, it's, a, it's it's an invasion. It's a takeover, and that's exactly what the Biden administration wants. The second vice chairwoman for Minnesota's Democratic Farmer Labor Party, basically a communist party, uh, who previously vowed to dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department during the Black Lives Matter. Uh, riots, they call them protests, they were riots, Uh, is now calling for tougher crime laws after she was violently carjacked this week. Did you see this story? Um, I can't even even spell her name because she's a foreigner. Shivanthi Sathanandan uh, claimed the carjacking took place in the driveway of her Minneapolis home in front of her children who are four and seven. And she posted a picture of uh, her bloodied face on, on uh, Twitter. The incident left her with a broken leg, deep lacerations on her head, and bruising and cuts all over her body. Four very young men, all carrying guns, beat me violently down to the ground in front of our kids, she wrote. Young men, young men held our neighbors up at gunpoint when they ran over and tried to help me, all in broad daylight. Look at my face in the picture. This is the face of a mother who just had that expletive beaten out of her. A mother whose only thought was, let me run far enough and fight hard enough so that my kids have a chance to get away. This is the face of a mother who just listened to her four-year-old daughter screaming nonstop. Her seven-year-old son wailing for someone to come help because bad guys are murdering his mama in the backyard. Oh, i being beaten with guns and kicks and fists. Now she uh, no longer feels that we should defund the police. These men knew what they were doing. I have no doubt they have done this before. Yet they are still on our streets, killing mothers, giving babies psychological trauma that a lifetime of therapy cannot ease. With no hesitation and no remorse, she wrote, I'm now part of the statistics, I wasn't silent when I fought these men to save my life and my babies, and I won't be silent now. We need to get illegal guns off the streets. Catch these young people who are running wild, creating chaos across our city, and hold them in custody and prosecute them. All right, it's the gun fault again. Not not all these guys. It's back to the guns. They can't help themselves. Uh, Whether they had guns, knives, or bats, they would have done the same thing. But it's always about the guns, isn't it? Uh, so now she wants, uh, these people arrested, held in custody and prosecuted. Uh, just unbelievable. And she later, uh, went on to state that the, uh, the police did a great job. So, uh, she's obviously, uh, changed her tune and. uh. Isn't that always the case when it's in your own backyard? In this case, literally, she's getting beat in her own backyard. Or when it's in New York City, all these migrants and you have to pay for them. They change their tune. They're all, you know, very, uh, very good at virtue signaling. Always think they're doing uh, the heartfelt thing. And meanwhile, they're destroying their city. So she goes on to uh, say... um, She concluded her lengthy post by thanking the, quote, incredible Minneapolis 4th Precinct Officers, Mayor Fry, Chief O'Hara, paramedics, neighbors, friends, and DFL family, who all came to our aid during this terrifying experience. Uh, Loves the police now, right? That's the thing. Yeah, defund the police until you need them. Weren't they, didn't they want social workers to replace police? Uh, I didn't see any social workers showing up there and, uh, and helping this woman Just unbelievable The hypocrisy is just amazing with these people How about this headline 2 million guns sold in August 49th straight month Of over 1 million sales <laughs> That's pretty amazing uh, How they know how many guns are sold by background checks Through the FBI So in August 2.04 million checks were conducted To the FBI's national instant criminal background check system So we have Americans literally by the millions They're investing and exercising their second amendment rights And this has happened every single month At least a million for four years continuously That's a lot of guns Uh, and, And these background checks and these people Buying guns aren't doing so to commit crimes. They're doing so to protect themselves from crimes. They're fearful. I mean, we got crime in the city. Boy, I tell you, if I listed, if I had to live in the city, I'd do everything that I could to get a carry permit, which in these blue cities is almost impossible to get. So, you know, while the Biden administration, you know, continues to propose rules to infringe and on a fundamental American right, certain governors, attorney generals, and district attorneys refuse to lock up criminals that are preying on the community. So people have to take uh, care of their own personal safety. And exercising their, their their right to have a firearm is really non-negotiable. They keep trying, but it's not going to work. And that's why a lot of people say, "Well, you know, it's we're going to have tyranny in a country." Pretty hard to have tyranny
3: uh,
0: when Americans are armed, the way we are. You know, we're not just going to lay down and let government take us over. So uh, people are out there; they're buying guns. Of course, the Democrats just want to crack down on guns, uh, and they're trying to do it incrementally, where you can't sell a gun. To somebody, uh, without going through a major amount of hoops uh, and so forth. Now, look, I believe I'm a gun owner, um, but I got it legally. I mean, I, I applied for the permit and I got my guns legally. It's not easy here in New Jersey to buy, get a gun, especially a handgun. It takes about two months for the permit to clear and the background check. And you can only buy, buy one gun at a time, and then you have to go through the process again. Um, it's just amazing. It's so much harder to buy a handgun than it is to buy an AR, <laughs> uh, AR semi-automatic rifle uh, that obviously uh, can kill a lot more people lot uh, quicker. Unbelievable. It was leaked this week that a uh, special prosecutor prosecuting, persecuting, Uh, Donald Trump, Jack Smith. I mean, this guy's out of control. Uh, He's using such abusive tactics uh, that really wouldn't be used on anybody else. And uh, Jim Jordan this week announced a probe into Jack Smith. Probably going nowhere. He announced that he uh, will begin investigating the alleged intimidation tactics utilized by the Office of Special Counsel Jack Smith, who is overseeing two different prosecutions of former President Donald Trump. And by the way, it's rumored that there's more indictments coming. regarding January 6th from this guy. It's like he, indi- you know, I- I've never heard of an indictment where you get indicted and then three or four weeks later, there's more indictments and three or four, weeks- more indictments. Uh, it's just ridiculous, but... Um- So apparently that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, Jim Jordan um, decided to investigate him after he learned about an incident in which Smith's office allegedly tried to entice an attorney representing one of the defendants uh, in Trump's classified documents case uh, to force him to convince his client to cooperate with the prosecution. And it had to do with the fact that this lawyer was up for a judgeship. And uh, basically threatened him that you know, uh, you know, you'll get your judgeship if you turn on Trump. I mean, which is totally outrageous uh, tactic. So Jordan has asked Smith in his office to hand over any and all documents related to his office's communication with this attorney named Woodward, uh, as well as any internal communication about him and anything relevant to Woodward's judgeship application. They just don't stop. It's unbelievable. And he's, uh, Trump's being prosecuted for what? Questioning the legitimacy of the 2020 election. Now, apparently to uh, the Democrats and the weaponized Justice Department, questioning the legitimacy of an election. I mean, you just don't do that in America. But I came across this montage of Democrats and, of course, the mainstream media, which is just the mouthpiece of the Democratic Party, questioning the legitimacy of the Trump presidency, the legitimacy of the 2020 election. You remember Russia hacked the election? Now, you got to understand here, they're very coordinated in their message. They all get the email, the politicians, all the mainstream channels, they get the same talking points and they use them over and over and over again. During the Russian hoax, it was nonstop, all saying the same thing. And just you know, if you're not you don't believe I'm right about this, tune in the morning shows, right? Record them all, watch one, record the other ones, and then go by and watch the opening of the news. They say the exact same words, the exact same phrases. How does that happen in totally different media organizations? It's totally coordinated. They get their four a.m. talking points. Uh, and the producers, you know, build their newscast around those talking points. The media is not independent anymore. The media is Pravda, if you remember Pravda, which was the state media of the Soviet Union. Never, you want to talk about fake news, right? Pravda was known for fake news or omitting news. The United States media is worse than Pravda ever was. And that should scare the crap out of everybody. But I want to play for you a montage of Democrats and the lamestream media that, that covers for them and gives us their message uh, talking about the legitimacy of the Trump election
2: it was stolen stolen he's an illegitimate president he's an illegitimate president you know pretending to be president why do you think the president is going to such great lengths to essentially prove that he beat you because he didn't one third of clinton supporters say trump election is not legitimate i think
3: he's an illegitimate president that didn't
2: really win you are absolutely right you can run the best campaign you can even become the nominee and you can have the election stolen from you the 2016 election was stolen. Got a nicer way to say that! Say Russia hacked the election. Russia hacked our election. Russia hacked our election. A little louder, please. Russia hacked our election. That was a 9-11 scale event. This was a kind of cyber 9-11. Yeah. 9/11. I it was 9-11. 9/11. Yes. Russia hacked our election. Russia hacked our
1: election here. Half of Clinton's
2: voters believe the conspiracy theory that
1: Russia hacked election day votes.
2: We know that they were into voting ro- Actual interference with the elections themselves. We know it happened. Despite no credible evidence, 67% of Democrats believe Russia tampered with vote tallies. Hacking the U.S. election. Hacking the U.S. election. Russia hacked our election. The Russians hacked our election. Russia hacked our election. Russia hacked our election. Hacking of our election. Hacking of our our election. Russia hacked our election. Russia hacked our elections. Stolen election. Russia hacked our election. Russia hacked our election. Universal assessment that Russia hacked our election in 2016. Four governments hacked our elections. Most young Americans consider Donald Trump an illegitimate president. An illegitimate president. He's an illegitimate president. Why is he, he illegitimate? Trump? He just won an election. He is an illegitimate president in my <sighs> mind. I absolutely agree. Experts urge Clinton Kemp to challenge election results. We will see how illegitimate his victory He's an illegitimate president.
1: Russia hacked our election. Russians hacking our our election. Russia hacking our election. I don't see the president elect as a legitimate president. Trump is an illegitimate president who stole
2: the election. He is not a president. He's illegitimate. And my biggest fear is that he's going to do it again with
1: the help of Vlad. His best cast terrified. Would you be my vice president? (laughs) Hillary Clinton voters call to overturn election results.
2: More than 4 million people have already signed a petition on change.org. Calling for the electors of the Electoral College to quote, ignore their states' votes and cast their ballots for Secretary Clinton. Trump
1: didn't actually win the election in 2016. We are the victims of a bloodless coup. He didn't win the general election. Yo, Electoral College, make Hillary Clinton
2: president, period.
1: Donald Trump is an illegitimate president.
2: Femmes don't accept Trump as a legitimate president. This wasn't on the level. This election was not on the level. I don't think he's a legitimate president. Wasn't legit. He wasn't got his victory from cheating. Yes, Trump cheated. Trump cheated the 2016 election. He's an illegitimate president. No validity. No credibility. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I anger at what
1: some see as an illegitimate president not be a peaceful change of power. A
2: number of incidents turned violent. Protesters hurled trash cans, flash bombs, and objects at police.
1: Several officers injured. Protesters drew rocks and smashed windows, leading to more confrontations, injuries, and arrests. <laughs> the chaotic scene just blocks outside the secure area of the inauguration. This
2: denying election results is extreme now. Yeah. So, let's, let's be really clear. That comparison that you made is just ridiculous. Protests against Donald Trump's election victory surged overnight and some became violent. Violence erupted on the streets of Portland during the second straight day of protests over the election of Donald Trump. Some protesters launched fireworks and other projectiles at police. Several people began vandalizing cars.
0: Okay, enough of that. I'll spare you the rest. It goes on. Uh, So where's the rest of the indictments uh, for all the Democrats? including the ones that protest and rioted in all these cities, including, if you remember, Inauguration Day. You remember the riots and the cars on fire and all that? I don't think a single person went to jail. What about all these Democrats, all these politicians? Trump's illegitimate. Russia hacked the election. You hear the one guy commentator? The Electoral College got to make Hillary Clinton president, period. What a bunch of hypocrites these people are. They protest almost every election. How about in Georgia? What's her name? Who was uh, running for governor? Stacy Abrams. She, she She's still protesting. She lost by 30,000 votes for governor. And she's still protesting, saying it was stolen from her. Uh, and still trying to get it over there. But it's fine if she does it. Unbelievable. Just a two tier justice system in this country. Now, you remember the grand jury um, uh, in uh, the one that just uh, indicted Trump in Georgia? I mean, apparently, uh, you remember the lunatic, lunatic four woman there, the young lady uh, who was just so giddy on national TV? She was so giddy with excitement about uh, uh, indicting Donald Trump, and she wished he would. Beyond on the witness stand so she can swear him in. Uh, this is the grand jury uh, that indicted him. L- listen to her. We'll see if we can dig her up.
2: Did, did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. Mm. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in, I just, I kind of he just thought that would be an awesome moment.
0: She's a total left-wing kook. If you see her face, she's a kid. She's like in her mid-20s, it looks like, just with a glee on her face that, oh, I'd love to swear in President Trump. Obli- obviously a left-wing lunatic. This is the four, the forewoman the, the of this grand jury, the one in charge. First of all, when does uh, somebody in a grand jury, let alone the forewoman, show up in a news show and talk about a case? I've never heard of that before. But she's in that case. And the grand jury, you know, wanted to go insane on on indictments. They wanted to indict like 30-something people. And uh, she wanted to indict uh, uh, two U.S. senators from Georgia. These are the ones who had the election stolen from them, David Perdue, uh, Kelly Loeffler, as well as current U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, who uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said called him after the 2020 election to ask if it was possible to invalidate mail-in ballots that violated the state's signature matching law and whether political bias may have played a role in counties where poll workers accepted higher rates of mismatched signatures. So uh, she and her cohorts in the grand jury in Fulton County uh, thought Lindsey Graham should be indicted under RICO for that. To ask if ballots that weren't properly signed could be invalidated as a, as a felony. Um, she wanted to indict Michael Flynn. Uh, the list was really so long. And you know it's bad when it's too much for uh, Fannie Willis <laughs> to even go forward with it. That's how crazy these people are. Grand juries could be nuts. There's an old saying, uh, some attorney said it way back when. A grand jury can indict a ham sandwich. And you got to understand, in grand juries, you can't defend yourself. It's totally the prosecutor. Uh, I don't even think you have attorneys in the room. Unbelievable. Oh, uh, this will make you all happy. Uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who was 83 years old and out of her mind, announced Friday that she's going to run for re-election another term in Congress unbelievable these people never go away that's the problem with these people she's 83 years old she wants to be reelected for 6 more years that puts her at 89 she can't function now why don't these people ever want to retire is power so important to them This was her uh, statement. Now more than ever, our city needs us to advance San Francisco values and further our recovery. Give me a break, San Francisco values. Yeah, sure. It's the biggest hellhole in America right now. These people, these Democrats, they just say things that make no sense, that are totally, objectively false and preposterous. Our country needs America to show the world that our flag is still here. With liberty and justice for all. That is why I'm running for re-election. And respectfully ask for your vote. So she was first elected to Congress in 1987. I was 27 years old. I'm 63 now. And she just won't go away. Right now, America's Congress is the oldest in its history. Uh, Back in the 80s, about 5% of Congress was over 70, now it's 25%. You got Mitch McConnell's glitching out every other day, just freezing. You got Fetterman, who's a whack job, mental case, stroke victim, whatever you want to call him. And you got Biden, doesn't know where he is. Um, Why don't they just build a, a nursing home on the mall? Well, these people can go, after, and then, then they can be wheel, wheeled in to do their jobs for a couple hours. And the thing is, these people keep getting reelected. I mean, Mitch McConnell, Pelosi, Schumer, it doesn't matter how the country goes down, down, down. They, they just keep getting reelected. They have the machine. They know how to get reelected. Yeah. And you'd think she'd want to just retire. She's got $100 million plus. Take take the last few years of your life where you still have half her brain cell left and go go travel to Europe or something. Go work as a professor at some liberal college. But they just can't give up their seat. And that's why we need term limits. So apparently there's a new book out. Uh, about Joe Biden's life, uh, entitled "The Last Politician." God, I wish he was. Um, it went on sale on Tuesday. In the book, uh, Joe Biden is quoted as saying he is babied by his staff, which sets off his eighty-year-old uh, Irish temper. Um. Uh, so, <laughs> so. Uh, What's his name? Peter he, uh asked uh, Corinne KGP. I have such a mental block for her name. Uh, you know, why the White House is treating the president as a toddler. And like every time she's asked a, a hard question, she just deflects from it and changes it to something else. But this, this was her response.
2: Ukraine, President Biden is the oldest president in U.S. history. Why does White House staff treat him like a baby? No one treats the president of the United States, the commander-in-chief, uh, like a baby. So there's this book that says That's ridiculous. when staff That's walked That's back ridiculous. what sounded like a call for regime change in Russia, the president, uh, quote, rather than owning his failure, he fumed to friends about how he was treated like a toddler. Was John Kennedy ever babied like that? So look. I'll say this: Um, There's going to be a range, always a range of books uh, that are uh, about every administration, as you know. uh, That's going to have a variety of claims. That is not unusual. That happens all the time. And we're not going to litigate those here. That's something that we're not going to uh, speak to. There is one thing that I do want to, because I think I was asked this question last week by one of your colleagues about this particular excerpt uh, that they uh, were referring to. And so I'll say this: You know. We did see the excerpt, excerpt go, the context uh, of the excerpt, and it seemed to be making the opposite overall point about how the value of his experience and wisdom resulted in rallying the free world against authoritarianism, which is important. We have seen this. You all have seen this. And passage of the most historic agenda in recent history in his handling of foreign policy, like rallying the world around Ukraine. As you-
0: so what he really meant in the book is, uh, this is the author of the book, is that uh, uh Biden's wisdom, because of his age, it was just the opposite. Oh, and, you know, all the victories that Biden has, especially in foreign policy with Ukraine. How about foreign policy with Afghanistan? Tell out to the 13 service people who have killed their families, which he won't even acknowledge, by the way. I really can't stand that woman. Uh, I thought I hated Peppermint Patty a lot, but nothing compared to this one here. She is so out of her league. She never answers a question. Straightforward. It's always, uh, you turn the book, turn to the proper page, and read what the pre-answer is there. It's unbelievable. Oh, Bonnie's come out with a new commercial. uh, Making him look like uh, the last action hero entering Ukraine under the cover of night. He's such a powerful leader. Um, Take a listen. It's a joke.
1: It was the first time in modern history.
2: Very significant moment on the world stage.
1: That an American president went into a war zone not controlled by the
0: United
2: States. A nearly 40-hour journey in and out of Ukraine. President Biden left Washington, D.C. at 4 a.m. on Sunday. He landed in eastern Poland and then took a a nine-and-a-half-hour train to Kiev.
1: He entered Ukraine under the cover of night. And in the morning, Joe Biden walked shoulder to shoulder with our allies in the war-torn streets, standing up for democracy in a place where a tyrant is
0: waging war to take it away. Air raid sirens blared as the two men walked together, in the middle of a war zone, Joe Biden showed the world what America is made of. That's the quiet strength of a true leader who doesn't back down to a dictator. Biden, president.
3: I'm Joe Biden, and I have proved this message.
0: Ooh. What a what a warrior Joe Biden is. Um oh, in the darkness of night. Right? All he's done is just give more and more money to Ukraine. And Congress now is mulling over another request for $24 billion more. Uh, Zero Hedge, an article in Zero Hedge, uh, made a list of all the times we gave money to Ukraine and how much. All courtesy of the American taxpayer. The list is so long, I can't even read it to you. But what is it? 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 40. There's 25 times that we appropriated money to Ukraine, starting with 500 million on February 20th, 2023. This is just this year, I guess. 10 billion, 2 billion, 400 million, 350 million, 2.6 billion, 325 million, 1.2 billion, 3 billion, 375 million, 40 billion, 30 million, 2.1 billion, 325 million, 200, uh, 205 million, 6.2 billion. Uh, 1 billion, 600 million, it just goes on. 13 billion. And these are just the publicly disclosed funds, never mind, you know, what the black budget the CIA is using there. And it's just a never ending pit. Uh, best thing we could do is to negotiate peace and be done with this money pit that is Ukraine. They're not going to win. Uh, and how many people have to die. It's just unbelievable. But rest assured, Biden's, Biden's the leader we need to go forward, to lead us in the war against tyrants. As I've been telling you for the last few weeks, uh, the health quote-unquote authorities are trying to ramp up COVID hysteria again as we enter cold and flu season. Uh, we have schools already masking up. We have a couple of uh, elementary schools uh, mandating the kids wear masks again. There's talk of lockdowns again. There's talk of um, wearing masks in airports and on planes again. Uh, and, and people just have had enough of it. And of course, they're pushing the the new version, the new vaccine uh, that don't worry about the other ones that didn't work. Uh, this one really will work, I think. Um, so make sure you get your, your booster again. Uh, but meanwhile, the government refuses to provide COVID-19 vaccine safety uh, to the American public and to Congress, a U.S. senator. U.S. officials are refusing to provide COVID-19 vaccine safety data to a U.S. senator, Senator Ron Johnson. And it's always a Republican that requests this. Democrats don't care. They don't care if people are dropping dead from heart attacks, strokes. They don't care if women are having miscarriages. They, they, they don't care Only Republicans care Only conservatives care about this stuff And I don't get it So Senator Ron Johnson Republican from Wisconsin Asked the U.S. Drug uh, Food and Drug Administration For the results of analysis On data from Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System In January That's, that's the VAERS system Apparently a person or, or a healthcare professional Can go there And report an adverse effect From taking a vaccine and there's many of them, uh, but he wants deeper analysis of it. He wants to, all the information, but they won't give it to him. And uh, that's what this government does. They don't care about subpoenas. They don't care about any request for information. They drag their their feet. They 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 just refuse to give it. Uh, and, and that's the case here. Uh, the FDA res- recently responded to Mr. Johnson, telling him that it cannot provide the information he seeks. FDA's EB data mining analysis of adverse events contained in the VAERS reports for COVID nineteen vaccines are currently the subject of pending FOIA Freedom of Information Act litigation. FDA is unable to comment on pending litigation or provide information or data that is currently being considered in pending lit- litigation. Now, see that's what they always use. Well, there's an investigation going on. Oh no, no, we can't. We can't give you the information. There's always a pending investigation that they can't give information on. So Senator Johnson sent a new letter to FDA Commissioner Robert Califf uh, that the claim was wrong. As you are well aware, Congress has a right to information contained at U.S. federal agencies as it conducts its oversight responsibilities. It's outrageous that the FDA would assert that pending litigation and any particular FOIA litigation would allow your agency to obstruct, obstruct my congressional oversight, he added. Any pending litigation FDA may have related to its EB data mining records has no bearing on its responsibility to comply with a congressional request. Mr. Johnson said in the past, he's repeatedly received from the government documents subject to litigation, including from the FDA's parent agency, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. He urged the FDA to produce the EB data mining analysis by September 20th. That's what they do. Uh, before you rush out to get the booster, by the way, you should you should read about what's going on. A lot of information is coming out now about this, about this poison that they keep wanting to put in us and put in our babies and put in our pregnant women. How about this article? Uh, Government gave millions to top reproductive health organization to promote COVID-19 vaccines to pregnant women. You want to talk about evil? The the premier professional membership organization for obstetricians and gynecologists accepted $11.8 million from the Department of Health and Human Services to promote COVID-19 vaccines to pregnant women. Despite the exclusion of pregnant women from clinical trials and regulatory data showing the vaccine had not been tested for safety during pregnancy. It hasn't been tested for safety during pregnancy and they're buying the obstetric obstetric and gynecologist organization, who then went out and promoted to their doctors that it's safe and effective and recommended it. It's bribery. To learn more about COVID-19 funding received by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists during the pandemic and pro- that prompted the organization on COVID-19 vaccines for pregnant women, James Thorpe, a board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, and maternal fetal medicine physician, made a Freedom of Information Act request in 2022. And he wanted documents about this cooperative agreement between uh, HHS CDC, and this obstetrician and gynecology organizations. So it turns out that in response for this money, and that wasn't the only money they received, the contracts further provided for the return of funding to the HHS if the ACOG did not adhere to the federal government's messaging that COVID-19 vaccines were safe and effective for pregnant women and new mothers. This is your government. They don't care about you. It's just unbelievable that they would recommend and buy off obstetricians and gynecologists. And sure enough, they did their job. And it wasn't just gynecologists. As part of the COVID-19 Community Corps, whatever that is, HHS awarded billions of federal dollars to recruit what HHS referred to as quote-unquote trusted community leaders. Who could push vaccines with our most private relationship, within our p- most private relationships? Much like modern-day Trojan horses, these trusted messengers would be unique in their ability to permeate all facets of private life. Meaning your doctor, unbelievable. And meanwhile, how many women have had miscarriages or had problems during their pregnancy or post-pregnancy because of this vaccine? I can't back it up, but I read somewhere that something like 86% of women who were pregnant got the vaccine-headed miscarriages. Don't quote me on that. And meanwhile, they're, you know, they want us all now to go for the booster. Oh, on the Five this week, did you hear this? Uh, Harold Ford Jr., you know, you know, the resident liberal. I kind of like him. He seems like a nice guy. Um He's talking about. He can't wait to get his new his next shot. Uh, and listen to how the the rest of the five react to him. They're, they're just laughing. I
2: won't wear a mask, but I'm going to get the shot. You are. How, what number shot is this for you? I've had it every. T- so I'm, <laughs> I have one in October. I have one in <laughs> April. How many? April. What's the total? <laughs> this yeah. would be my seventh. <laughs> seven. <laughs> seven
1: shots. And I've had
2: COVID three times.
0: Seven, seven shots, and he's had COVID three times. Uh, isn't he going to learn that these shots are, don't work and God knows what it's doing to his body? Uh, I tell you, that's one way to get rid of the Democrats, I guess. Uh, they're all so shot happy and mask happy. Maybe they'll kill themselves off. I don't know. I don't know. Seven shots. It sounded like he couldn't wait to go. And, and he seemed pretty, uh, I don't know, giddy that he, and I got COVID three times. Uh, what does that tell you, Harold Ford Jr.? <laughs> unbelievable. Oh, here's another interesting article. You're thinking about getting a shot. COVID-19 mRNA vaccines reduce immune response to other infections. Potential concern of immune deficiency. Well, you've heard that here on the program before. Recent study on immune effects of Pfizer's COVID-19 mRNA vaccine has scientists raising concerns over vaccine-acquired immune deficiency. They call it VAIDs. Vaccine Acquired immune, immune Deficiency Syndrome. And so apparently, not only are you going to catch uh, COVID, uh, it's going to give you AIDS or VADES, which is the same thing, immune deficiency, for other pathogens. Um, it's insane. They found that blood samples in post-vaccination had a lower cytokine cytokine response to non-COVID pathogens compared to pre-vaccinations. This reduced immune response was particularly persistent for non-COVID viruses. Blood samples taken at six months showed some children still had low responses for hepatitis B, virus proteins, and proteins that mimic a viral infection. Another article, boosted people more likely than unvaccinated to be infected, new study finds People who received a new COVID-19 vaccine booster were more likely to contract COVID-19 than people who received no COVID-19 doses, according to a new study of prisons in California. Researchers analyzed data from 33 state prisons from January to July 2023 to try to assess the effectiveness of the bivalent shots. which were introduced in the fall of 2022. Among 96,201 inmates with data on COVID-19 testing and vaccination, researchers identified 2,835 cases of COVID. They found that 1,187 of those cases were among people who had received the bivalent vaccine versus, versus just 568 cases among the unvaccinated. So almost a two to one. When I was a kid, I got vaccines. I didn't know any better. I couldn't say no. <laughs> but I got a polio vaccine. Uh, I got the smallpox vaccine, uh, measles vaccine. I don't remember getting measles, polio, or smallpox after taking the vaccine. But you do with this one. And I think, I think more and more people have woken up to the fact um, that this whole COVID thing was just a flu. And everybody knows somebody who's had a vaccine injury of some kind. We're going to take a short break. And on the other side of the break, uh, as I teased earlier in the program, I'll have my interview with the 45th President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Don't go anywhere. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Argentus Advisor. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna. A Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty His number is number 6200 That's seven three two six five seven sixty two hundred. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call, you'll be happy. You- want to contact me? Just uh, send me an email at Lou at the financial You want me to cover a subject or you have something I could help you with. Uh, feel free to get in touch with me at louatthefinancialphysician.com or feel free to call my office if you want to have a discussion with me on anything. Uh, just call my office at 732-905-8100, 732-905-8100. All right, I've teased you enough. And um, as I said at the beginning of the program, this week I had a telephone interview with our 45th president, our favorite president of the United States, uh, Donald J. Trump. And this is how it went. All right, I'd like to welcome Donald J. Trump to the Financial Physician podcast. Sir, thanks so much for taking time out of your day. I'm surprised you were able to get out from your lawyer's office with all the litigation going against you. But th- thanks for taking time out of your day and joining us here on the Financial Physician. Well,
1: thank you very much. It's great to be with you.
0: Well, thank you, Mr. President. I'm um, so excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, I was thrilled when you accepted our invitation. And I want to start off this conversation with you talking about a Donald Trump that a lot of people don't know, that you're a generous, caring person. Uh, The media would have you people believe that you're a tyrant, uh, criminal, what have you. But, you know, there was a a guy I heard talking about, uh, I forgot his name, he was in the hospital uh, at Walter Reed after coming back from war. Uh, He was blinded. And you went and saw him in the hospital. And then when he got home, there was a package there of baby supplies. And this didn't come from the White House. This came from you personally. And he said he'd, he'd never forget it, that it was, he was so touched by it that you would go out of your way for him in that regard. Then there's the story of a, another woman who uh, lost the game show. And when she was asked what she was going to do with the money, she said she was going to pay her son's medical bills, which were piling up. And you heard that, and you went out of your way to pay his medical bills and also pay for the first couple years of his college. Why don't we hear more about that, about Donald Trump?
1: Well, I don't know. People aren't interested, and I I can tell you the media's not interested in those things. And, you know, I'll I'll help people. I love to help people. It's nice to be able to do it. And these, uh, some of the soldiers, what they've given up, I, I used to go to Walter Reed a lot, when I was president to just visit people, visit soldiers and, uh, incredible. I mean, to see, first of all, how good Walter Reed is, what they can do, but to see the damage done to these people and uh, the horrible damage done to them. And especially when you view, you know, the why were we there? Why did we do this? And, you know, I believe in peace through strength, but you can, you can, you don't have to do all of this stuff that we do. Uh, it ends up not solving problems. But when you see the destruction that's done and the the horrible harm to the families, to the people that we're talking about, but to the families and beyond, it's really terrible. So I, I would spend a lot of time and you get to be really, uh, really friendly about it. It's, uh, you know, it's very interesting. I would never have been a doctor because I'm not good at handling that stuff. You understand that mm-hmm. it's incredible. Yep. I have no problem with it. Uh, I normally would. I have no problem with that. I have such respect for these people. I just
0: have no problem with it. You know, I often thought about running for office, um, you know, not president of the United States, of course, but, you know, local office mayor or something like that. And my wife was totally against it. And that's before we saw the weaponization of government that you're dealing with now. Um, why would anybody want to run? I know you're tough and everything, but, you know, you have a, a, a young child just In high school. uh, How do you protect him? And and how does he react uh, to the fact that and how do you explain to him uh, that the government is now weaponized against his father?
1: Well, I've seen people where they don't like our government anymore. And I say, you can't do that. We have to love our government, but we have to change it. Uh, They become very, uh, they become crazed. They're, and this this has been happening from before my time, but not that much before. It's, It's gotten it's gotten really bad. It started with the Obama administration, and you understand that. It just was nasty, and it's gotten to a point now where it's out of control. It's the weaponization of government. Uh, they sue you not two and a half years ago when they could. They sue you right in the middle of your election, and we're leading Biden, and we're leading everybody by a lot, we're leading Biden by a lot, and uh, they sue you. Right. If I wasn't leading, or if I wasn't running, none of this stuff would happen.
0: Of course not. This is the most corrupt president we've ever had.
1: Yeah, these people are horrible. I mean, it's like incredible that this could take place. Actually, it's it's called you know weaponization, but it's also you know there are many there are many terms for it. Uh, it's it tries to affect the election. That's what they're trying to do affect the election. And I'm way up on Biden in some of these polls, and they want to just you know there's a term called uh, election interference and that's exactly what they do and they do it for that reason. It's terrible. I think they also do it as revenge for the Republicans going after them for the first you know for the first time. Now let's see what happens because they have to act if they're going to do mm-hmm. something just either do it or don't do it but you got they got to act because there's so much corruption. This is the most corrupt president in history and the most incompetent at the same time it's pretty incredible
0: we all see you as an amazingly strong man and uh but you're a dad it must be really difficult for you
1: well it's tough when you have uh children that you know i have a son who's 17 just turned 17 and uh but you know regardless of age when they see this kind of stuff happening and it plays out in the media and much of the media doesn't cover it accurately but a lot of people, you know, it's very interesting. The poll numbers went way up. That means the people understand it. My poll numbers are the highest probably they've ever been. Uh, and every time I get indicted, they go up. And, you know, I get indicted. I never was indicted before. All of a sudden, I do this stuff. And I will say this. That's true. I know a lot of successful people that said, oh, boy, I, they'd like to do what I did. And now they say, uh, no, it's, it's really something they wouldn't want to do. very nasty business. You mean very dishonest people like Adam Schiff and people that you just don't really I don't know, you, you meet some pretty bad business people, but these are really sleaze these are really bad people the shifts of the world, and so many others it's incredible actually and they know the facts, you know they knew that there was no Russia, Russia, Russia they made it up, they knew the story was phony, but they'll talk about it like, oh, it's this great constitutional crisis, and, and yet they know it's phony.
0: When you're back in office, and hopefully you will, uh, will you go after Hillary Clinton for the fake dossier?
1: Well, that's, that's the thing. They did, it was a fake dossier. Yeah. It's big. All of that stuff is now part of what's you know, going on and what's being looked at. A fake dossier who mm-hmm. was paid for by the Democrat Party and Hillary. Uh, all of this stuff, it was fake. It's just fake. Everything. The current stuff is fake.
0: We're talking with the 45th president of the United States, uh, Donald J. Trump, who has been gracious enough to join us on The Financial Physician. Let me ask you a question. They're bringing him out, COVID again, and they're talking about masks and lockdowns. As a matter of fact, two school districts in Kentucky have shut down because of COVID cases. What would President Trump do um, when he's back in office and this COVID hysteria uh, hits again? Well, we
1: don't do shutdowns, for one thing. And it sounds to me like, you know, if something's coming back, you know, they blame everything. They say it's COVID because they love using the word COVID. If you have a flu season, you know, they call it COVID. We had that then, too, by the way. You had a lot of flu. You had a lot of this stuff. And, you know, they like to say everything's COVID. Uh, But uh, let's see what happens. I mean, there could be something happening.
0: Well, there's been numerous reports about myocarditis, uh, people, young people dropping dead on the sports field. Uh, blood clots, strokes, and it seems that the pharmaceutical companies don't want to release any data. Uh, also, the FDA has been dragging their feet. Recently, uh, Senator Ron Johnson asked for Bears data from uh, the FDA, and they said uh, pound sand, basically. Uh, do you think that once you're president that you're going to demand that this information comes out? Well, they should
1: do that. You know, we're all in this together, and they should be doing that, and frankly, uh, anything new, and I hadn't heard what he said yet, but anything new is got to be looked at very carefully. But they should be doing that if they have facts. I mean, the facts are public. They should be made public immediately. People should understand that, and they should they should know what research is, is showing and what fact-finding is. You know, this is now after the case. Don't forget, when we started, nobody ever had any idea. The word, Even the word pandemic, it was 100 years ago, 1917 that was the last time and it was you know it was a horrible thing a hundred million people perhaps died but uh you know nobody thought that could happen again it seemed like an ancient kind of a thing you know the plague they talked about the plague but we had our own plague it was called COVID it was called the China virus and frankly it was not it was what it did to the world what what that Wuhan lab and what came out of there because it came out of the Wuhan lab and What that did to the world was unbelievable. 60 trillion in damages, so many dead people, millions and millions of people all over the world. What happened there was just incredible, horrible.
0: The vaccine companies have been protected uh, by the PrEP Act where uh, because it's a vaccine and it's an emergency, they can't be sued for vaccine injury. I think that it may expire on uh, December 24th. But when you're president, will you pressure these uh, pharmaceutical companies to release the data that they have and uh, be more transparent with the public?
1: They have to let – look, they have to be honest with the numbers, the facts. And, you know, they they have an obligation to be honest. And if they are going to hold back, that means they're holding back something that's not good.
0: A lot of people are waiting for you to come back. to be their advocate on this, because the Biden administration is not transparent when it comes to uh, uh, adverse effects, uh, uh, vaccine injury. Uh, They're keeping it from the public, and and, and the American public uh, are waiting for you to come back and be their advocate.
1: Well, we'll stand for them in many ways. Look at what's happening to the border. Millions and millions of people. Look at what's happening to our cities. They're being overrun. But even before they were being overrun, the crime was overrunning the cities. I mean, there's never been anything like it. And you look at, I look at numbers from Chicago, from Detroit, from look at New York with all the thousands and thousands of people piling into the city that nobody even knows where they come from. Nobody knows where they come from. It's, uh, it's, it is not, as a society, it is not sustainable. Even as a society, it is not sustainable. And it's not, it's not even affordable. You, you can't, no country could afford the cost of what's going on right now there's no country ever that could have afforded
0: this when you were president uh we had a great economy then COVID hit uh you were bringing manufacturing back to the country and now we look at a state like michigan detroit uh we have the auto workers going on strike we got the biden administration trying to do away with gas combustible engines and just go electric vehicles and uh, it's hurting the economy Of uh, Michigan. Uh, How about all the part makers that make engines and things like that? Uh, What are they going to do after uh, they go to EV vehicles only?
1: Well, I did great with Michigan. And we wanted, you know, I think we did better the second time than we did the first, but we had great success at Michigan. And I stopped the cars from moving out, you know, the car manufacturing from moving to Mexico. Michigan lost 32% before I got there, 32% of its car production a lot of it went to mexico and uh, actually 32 percent went to mexico to be exact that's a tremendous thing to think and now i understand it's added, they're at it again and now with the concept which is ridiculous of all electric cars they're going to be made in china they're going to, not going to be made here so who's ever representing the uh, united auto workers better get to work because and, and they better not support democrats because is going to be making all of our cars very soon because of this all-electric concept, which is ridiculous, by the
0: way. I mean, they didn't even know if electric vehicles save energy in the planet. I mean, they got to be charged. Uh, you can't drive them across the country without stopping for hours at a time to charge them. What is this country going to look like when we have all-electric vehicles?
1: Well, if you had all-electric right now, you'd have virtually no change in your atmospheric gauge. So think of it, if you had all-electric... The problem with the electric, they don't go long enough. They don't drive long enough, and you have to recharge. The recharging takes forever. Uh, It's so ridiculous what they're doing. They're trying to hurt people. They want to take away your water. They want to restrict your sinks. They want to restrict your dishwashers and your washing machines.
3: Your fans.
1: Oh, yeah, everything. Ceiling fans now. You're right. I heard that the other day. And your heaters. Your heaters in uh, your house. If you have a great heater that really works well, you have to change it into a heater that's environmentally sound that doesn't give you heat you know it the whole thing is crazy these people are crazy and we're going to stop it we are going to stop it we're going to win and we're going to turn it all around and our country is going to be great again we're a laughing stock all over the world our country is going to be great again
0: well Mr. President on this radio show uh, I've been your biggest advocate and I still am uh, and I've been shining light on all these things whether it's the vaccines whether it's the Biden administration corruption Uh, this crazy gender stuff that we're dealing with. And uh, I'm going to fight the battle for you. I'm one of your soldiers.
1: And you you really, you put your heart into it, and you did a good job, and you're respected, a very respected person.
0: Ever since you left uh, and what you and I both believe was a rigged election, um, everything the Biden administration has done uh, has been to the detriment of the United States of America. Uh, and we need a change, and we pray that, uh, that you'll overcome the election fraud that you're going to have to deal with again, all this uh, litigation and indictments and weaponization of the FBI, but they're destroying the country, and we need, we need somebody, and I said on this program, you're the only one, I think, that can save us.
1: They're going against everything. They open borders, no energy, uh, poverty, Uh, high interest rates. Look at the interest rates. They hit 7.5% today. Nobody can buy a house anymore.
0: Before I let you go, Mr. President, I want to talk about the economy and how it's affecting just middle class and uh, lower income families. Uh, My uh, two grandsons just went back to school and it cost almost $500 just for school supplies. And Americans are struggling to put food on a table, pay for gas, what are you going to do when you come back into the presidency to fix this economy that Biden's all but destroyed?
1: Uh, it, energy is what caused the inflation and will bring the energy down. Now, right now, energy is going up. There, I see it's at five dollars a gallon now in many places again.
0: Is that why we had the best economy under President Trump?
1: We had the strongest economy that in the history of the world has never been an economy like we had pre-COVID. Then we brought it back. You know, we brought it back from the tragedy of, of uh, COVID or the China virus, depending on what you want to call it, but we brought it back. But we had the greatest economy in history. There's never been anything like we had. Everybody, African-American, Hispanic-American, Asian-American, everybody, women, men. And uh, what, what they're doing now is just a shame. They're destroying this country. They're letting millions and millions of people come in from prisons from mental institutions, nobody has any idea who they are, where they're from. Uh, One hundred and twenty-nine countries were represented. One hundred and twenty-nine people just pouring into our country. We have no idea who they are, but we'll change it all very quickly, and we'll make it great. We will make America great again. We're going to do it.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us on the Financial Physician, and good luck.
1: Doing a great job, and the whole country appreciates it. Really, I mean, I mean really appreciates it too. So I want to thank you
0: very much. Well, that was my interview with uh,
1: President Trump. What did you think of it?
0: How many of you fell for it? How many of you really believe that I had an interview with Donald Trump on our Dinky Financial Position podcast? Uh, It was a kind of a fantasy interview of mine. Actually, that was an interview with uh, Tudor Dixon on her podcast. Uh, Tudor Dixon is a Republican conservative commentator who uh, ran for governor in Michigan, uh, in 2022 and lost to uh, Gretchen Whitmer uh, by over 10 points. Uh, so it took a lot of editing for me to, to – it took about three hours worth of editing for me to have my fantasy interview uh, with Donald Trump. Uh, I wonder how many of our listeners uh, really believed it was real. It is truly a fantasy, a fantasy of mine. Maybe I should put some feelers out, uh, see if it will come on during the campaign, Uh, I think we have to get uh, probably over a 1,000 downloads (laughs) before you think about doing that. So anyway, it was a lot of fun. It took me a lot of time. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the interview. It was more important just to get his comments about everything out there. Uh, My questions were pretty much the questions that Tudor Dixon asked him um, uh, on her interview with him. Uh, Hopefully I didn't run afoul of anybody's copyright (laughs) or something like that. But I gave credit to where credit is due. It wasn't my interview. You know, Trump was talking about electronic vehicles, electric vehicles, EVs, uh, and uh, how it's killing Detroit, and uh, they cost a lot of money, and you have to recharge them and everything else, but... Here's a headline Biden administration to provide up to $12 billion to retrofit auto plants to produce EVs. The money will include $10 billion from the U.S. Energy Department loan program for clean vehicles and an additional $3.5 billion in financing to expand domestic battery manufacturing, according to Bloomberg. Um, the United Auto Workers, uh, who are currently in negotiations with Detroit, uh, looks like they may be going to a strike has argued that a shift to EVs will cost the industry union jobs. Uh, so where does this money all come from? Billions to Ukraine, billion, 12 billion here, 10 million there. Uh, where's it come from? Well, it's being printed. That's what it is. And you wonder why you have inflation. And they're hell-bent on getting you away from fossil fuels. And it's... Um, It's madness. It really is madness. All right, let me finish up with uh, something that's a little off topic, but I love to cook. For anybody who knows me, uh, if I wasn't a certified financial planner, I'd be a chef in some restaurant. I I wish I went to culinary school. It's always been my dream. And since I was a young guy, um, I learned uh, when I was in my teens from my Italian grandmother who lived downstairs. She trained me. Uh, to be an Italian cook. But I'm a great cook, and I love cooking. Uh, I cook uh, all different cuisines. I cook uh, Oriental, Asian. I don't think you say Oriental anymore. Asian cooking, French, Mexican, Italian. Um, I kind of cook it all. I even do a little bit of baking. So I love cooking. And I was really disturbed when I I saw this headline. Toxic contaminants found in 32% of spices tested, name brands that you use every day. Uh, and uh, it's kind of disturbing uh, that uh, you could be poisoning yourself using uh, cinnamon, ginger, oregano, parsley, basil. Um, there is heavy metals in almost every sample of spices that you buy in a store. Uh, there was a study done, toxic metals like lead, arsenic, and cadmium, in a study of 126 spices From popular brands like McCormick, Trader Joe's, and Whole Foods, nearly one-third contained heavy metals at levels that could harm your health. About one-third of spices contaminated with heavy metals. Consumer Reports analyzed 126 dried herbs and spices from brands including Great Value, which is Walmart, LaFleur, Spice Islands, Penzies, and more. 40 of the products, nearly 32%, contained arsenic, lead, and cadmium at a combined level high enough to harm children's health if consumed regularly. And uh, the spices tested, basil, black pepper, chili powder, coriander, cumin, curry, garlic powder, ginger, oregano, paprika, you get it. Thyme and oregano were particularly concerning, and I think we more them more than most spices, with heavy metals found in every sample tested. Further, according to Consumer Reports, in 31 products, levels of lead were so high that they exceeded the maximum amount anyone should eat in a day. Uh, Maybe it's time for, it says here also, spices are responsible for 19% of children with lead poisoning. Wow. Uh, I have an herb garden, uh, but I can only grow it in the summer. I grow basil, I grow hot peppers, I grow uh, cayenne, I grow uh, oregano, thyme. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I can't grow them in the winter, and I have to buy spices. Now i got to think twice at whether I'm poisoning my family um, by putting spices uh, in their food. They're trying to poison us in every way they can. They're trying to kill us, as I've said many times on this program, and uh, I think they're going to succeed. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us for our Sunday edition of the financial physician podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed my mock interview uh, with Donald Trump. It took me a lot of time to put it together. I remember I'm going to be on vacation next week. So we will not we will not have a midweek podcast, but we will have our regular Sunday program. It'll be up by uh, 9am Sunday morning, maybe a little late because I'm getting off the cruise ship on Sunday. uh, But I hope to have the entire program done when I get off. Uh, and have it ready for upload uh, to the Podomatic platform uh, by uh, seven, to, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, and the latest 9 o'clock. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. If you want to schedule a no-obligation financial review with me, just call my office at 732-905-8100, 732-905. 8100, have a wonderful week. Thanks for joining us. And always remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far.